As we had the graduate uh, banquet last night, Rebecca and I were talking and I said, you know, these students were in fourth grade when we first were called to this church and it's been neat to see them grow up and only two of them were actually here when we first came to pastor the church. So it's been great to see the youth group and children's ministry grow as well and uh, we're really proud to see these students uh, step out. Of course, the college graduates, I mean, I, I stuck on that handsome man thing, Ronnie, that's just... That's just amazing, but congratulations to, to all of our graduates. It's that winsome smile that, that won you over there. We want to recognize this morning the Aguilard family. This is Kimberly's first anniversary with us, and we always make a big deal about anniversaries, but especially about one, five, and then when we get to tens, we'll do tens, but nobody's made ten yet. Um, but we celebrate the first, and so what we have to give the family, uh, a minister's family makes a lot of sacrifices. So in that first anniversary, uh, we wanted to recognize everybody, and this is actually uh, their first time to be a family in ministry in this way. And so what we're giving them as a church family is to Kimberly and Wes, uh, we're giving a retreat to uh, Monmouth Plantation in Natchez. And I've got a gift certificate for that for a getaway for y'all. And then in that bag too, I, okay, so I needed a bag that could carry a couple of envelopes. I know this is probably like a wine bag. <laughs> but we're Baptist. So it's just, if you know it's a wine bag. Anyway. So also in... <laughs> Also in that bag is uh, a gift card for Wes particularly. Wes is a gifted cook and loves to do that. So we've got you a gift certificate to Guillory's Meats. So you can go get some meat and have your pastor over. And then uh, for the girls, Rebecca put together uh, just a grab bag of fun stuff. Just stuff. And so we wanted them to have a good time so they can just look in their grab bag. But uh, we are blessed to have Kimberly on our staff. She does a, she works hard. She works long. Um, especially in the winter and spring of the year, it's very, very hard. And so I know Wes has helped juggle kids. And sometimes the kids have been with Kimberly at stuff. She's had about three Saturdays off, I think, since January. Uh, there's just a lot of things happen. And um, we're very blessed to have her. And so we uh, thank the Lord for sending Kimberly our way. And so let's give the Lord a hand and the Aguilar's a hand for serving so well. Love you guys. I feel like we've been to church already. It's good to be here in the Lord's house and we celebrated all kind of things today. Mothers, uh, if you were here in the early service and you decide you want to come back again, you got to see some children dedicated to the Lord, and we're uh, excited about our graduates. But let's come before him, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings this morning, and let's join to sing with our voices and celebrate all that he has done in our lives. Let's stand together. Come, Christians, join to sing. on high. Come lift your hearts on high. 
have forgiveness, we have life, we have hope, we have peace. It's all because of his love. Let's sing this great song together. Because of his love, we're free, we're forgiven, we're changed. Amen? He is almighty, the only God. You have no right. 
you stand alone, the heavens worship before your throne. There is no one like you. You have no equal. Your kingdom reigns. Yours is the
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and this time that we can come and worship together and have fellowship with one another. Lord, today we think about several ways that you've given us gifts. Lord, we think of the gift of knowledge that you've given to our graduates from high school and college and beyond. Lord, we ask that you would motivate them to use that gift of knowledge for your purposes. Lord, we also are reminded of the gift of children that you've given to us. Help us all, Lord, to assist families in raising those children to serve you and to honor you. Lord, we also recognize this day as Mother's Day and recognize the gift of having a mother and having someone who took us to church, taught us about Christ as our Savior, and gave us many blessings through their sacrificial love. Lord, we thank you for all of these gifts that you've given to us. Right now, we'd like to show our love for you and our appreciation of that by returning a portion of the gifts that you've given to us. And so we ask you to accept our tithes and offerings at this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Forgive. 
Aren't you glad we have a Savior like that? We're going to talk about that Savior this morning. I wanted to try something a little different for Mother's Day this year. And as I was planning, I thought, you know, why don't I plug in a mom? And the mom that I spend the most time with now, who's up here on the platform with me. And uh, I mentioned to Rebecca that I wanted to use her in the message. And she liked the idea and then came to me a couple of days later prayerfully with with what we could talk about. And so uh, we've put this message together. And admittedly, it's not your typical Mother's Day message. You know, it doesn't tell you to love your mama or be a good mama. I mean, that normal kind of Mother's Day message. This one's a little bit different because when you talk to a mama about what we're going to talk to mamas about, She says, let's deal with real life stuff. Our family's been through some real life stuff. And so we're going to talk about some of that today. You start off your motherhood journey thinking everything is going to be perfect. I mean, nowadays we would say it was going to be Pinterest perfect. Your child is going to emerge from the womb, perfect, looking perfect, ready for that first baby newborn session. It's going to be perfectly behaved its whole entire life, and it's going to be a genius. This is what you think it's, it's going to be perfection. That's what you think it's going to be when you first start your motherhood journey. Or maybe you were like me, and you didn't really want kids in the first place, and you had to kind of be talked into it. After all, mama's not getting any younger. So you get talked into it, you decide, okay, we're going to start trying to have a baby, and you think that's going to happen immediately because, hey, it does for everybody else, but it doesn't. It takes some time, and you find you're out you're expecting, and you're so excited, and you tell your whole church, only to have to go back a few weeks later to tell them that the baby is gone. You've had a miscarriage. And well-meaning people come to you with Sunday school answers like, oh, well, God wanted a perfect baby for you, and this one was not perfect. Or, well, God just needed another angel, and you wonder why you feel like you are about to die on the inside from grief. And you feel totally and completely alone. And then after many years, after you watch mother after mother, woman after woman get pregnant before you, you're finally expecting your miracle. And he comes and he's perfect. He's just perfect. And then you take him home from the hospital and you can't leave the house for six weeks. And then like three months later, you realize you haven't had an adult conversation with anybody except your husband. 
And then you finally venture out of the house. And when you get out of the house, you get around these moms who are talking about how perfect their baby is and how if you haven't taught him Mandarin by now, he's already behind. And you know so-and-so's grandchild that's only three months older than him? Yeah, they've already got him potty trained and he just turned one. And that really happened, yes. And you want to slap them because <laughs> you really do, but you love Jesus and you're the preacher's wife and you can't do that. Um, <laughs> so, and you fall headfirst deep into that comparison trap where nobody wins. And you feel absolutely alone. Then this baby, this perfect little thing you've brought into the world starts growing up and He's cute and he's fun and he does all kind of neat things and he or she's, you're just having so much fun. You're trying to enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey. And then they turn 18 months old and nobody bothered to tell you that the terrible twos technically start at 18 months and go till they're like three or four. And so you take them places and you get reports back about, well, they were acted so bad here. And then you have this one day where like you had to spank it five times in one day. And you think you're the only person in the history of motherhood that's ever had to deal with this. And you feel alone. Then finally, your little one, he or she is growing up. They're becoming a human person. They're becoming independent. They're doing just all this neat stuff. They're growing up. They're learning stuff like crazy, just left and right, and then just impressing you with so much, with, with all the stuff they can do and that they know. And, and the world starts asking you, when are you going to have number two? Because, you know, everybody else that had babies around the same time you did, they've either already had number two or they're expecting number two. So you're like, okay, maybe we should have number two. Only to find out halfway through that pregnancy that number two is going to be special needs. And that is the biggest alone of all. Alone. Moms, I think one of the greatest lies the enemy tries to tell us is that we are alone. That nobody else in the history of the universe in the annals of time have ever experienced what you're experiencing right here, right now. Some of you moms have babies graduating and you think you're the only one experiencing what you're experiencing right now. And that's a lie the enemy has tell, told us. He says it's all our fault that they don't know Mandarin by now. It's all our fault that they're bad when they go somewhere, when they're just acting their age. Satan will try to steal the joy of your motherhood because if he knows if he does that, the whole household will suffer and he will pull you away from Christ and in doing so might pull the entire family away from Christ and you will not live out the purpose that he has intended for you. And he doesn't just do this to moms. He does it for everybody, for every single problem that we go through in life. He tries to tell you that you are alone. So this is not just for moms today. This is for everyone here as well. So how do we do battle with the enemy over this? We talked about spiritual warfare last week. This is 
a way of spiritual warfare where the enemy comes against us? How do we deal with these, uh, this comparison trap and these troubles and all of these trials? Uh, comparison, haughtiness, troubles, trials, challenges, struggles. Satan comes at us in this way. And it's like this, this struggle, this trouble, this storm comes upon us. And when that storm comes upon us, with that trouble, when that trouble comes, it's hard not to focus on it. It's hard not to just key in on that. So what do we do about it? How do we handle the trouble that comes? Of course, the Bible has an answer for us in our text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And we're going to see that in order to deal with the troubles and the trials and the loneliness they bring, that we need to look up and around. Let's encounter the text this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope is for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Now what we just read there in this beginning of this letter of 2 Corinthians is actually something that sets the letter of 2 Corinthians apart from others of Paul's letter. If you're familiar with Paul's letters, generally he begins with a, a kind of thanksgiving where he talks about how he's thankful for the people he's writing to and the things that God has done in and through them. But in this particular letter, he doesn't do the thanksgiving. He dispenses of the thanksgiving and deals with this blessing of something God has done. He shifts away from thinking about what God has done in and through the church and towards what God has done in and through him meaning Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul had been through some stuff. In fact, in chapter 11 of this letter, he tells us just how much stuff he's been through. If you just flip over to chapter 11, verses 24 and following, he says this. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked and besides everything else... I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. And you think you've had a bad day or a week or a month or a year. Paul had been through some stuff. The picture we get from reading that is that we see Paul who's been exposed to so many things that he must look like death. So here's the deal. The guy who's about to talk to us about finding comfort is one who needed comfort himself, who had experienced comfort himself, had given comfort to others himself, so he knows what he's talking about. He's been through some mess, he's had God help him in that mess, and now he's ready to help us in our mess. There's two main truths that we're going to illustrate today, and the first is that we need to look up and around because God comforts 
us. Listen again to the first couple of verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Paul declares the great comfort which had come into his life in contrast to the struggles and the trials that he had faced. When we come against trouble in our life as a believer, we can know that God will indeed comfort us. If you look at this entire passage as we read through it, you may have noticed that word comfort coming up a lot. The word's there like 10 times in just the space of a few verses. And, and if you were writing that and turning it in an English class, your English teacher would turn it back and circle all of the comforts and say, use another word, use a thesaurus. Don't count off on Paul. You might use this excuse with your English teacher. I'm doing it on purpose. Because that's just what Paul is doing. You see, the word that we translate comfort comes from the same root word that we get the word comforter or paraclete, which is a word that the, that the apostle John and his gospel loves to use for the Holy Spirit. And so I think what, God's, what Paul is doing here is helping us to see by saying over and over again, comfort, 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 for us to think God is the source of that comfort. He's at the root of that comfort. And the reason I think that is because Paul makes it pretty clear in this passage. He says, praise be to the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion. We want to look at those two names for God. The first is the Father of compassion. We know God is creator. We know he's sustainer. We know he's savior and redeemer. He's healer. And those are powerful and mighty names. We sang about how he is almighty today. But God is also the Father of compassion where great power meets compassion. This reminds us of Psalm 103. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. If you've given your life to Christ, then you've been adopted into the family of God. You have been saved. He is your father. And that speaks of personal relationship. God's not only known through theological precepts and through creeds of doctrine, but he is known, in fact, best known in personal relationship. We can know him as the father of compassion as he brings compassion to our lives. Usually we think of a mother as the compassionate one among the parents. But often if when we're in the most severe trials and in the most severe trouble and we're most scared, we run to dad for the protection and care. God is the father of compassion. But he's not only the father of compassion, for Paul says he's also the God of all comfort. And having both of these together is important because comfort is a, uh, compassion is a feeling. Comfort is an action. Compassion is a feeling. Comfort is an action. It's one thing to have compassion for someone, but I don't think that we would be praising God near as much if all he did was have compassion on us. I mean, can you imagine God just simply looking down from heaven and saying, Yep, that's a mess you got yourself in. I'm sorry. I feel for you. I'm praying for you. And then he just kind of went about running the world. But you see, he's more than just the father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort. The one who acts 
acts on his compassion, the one who brings comfort into our situation. We don't want God to just say something or to give compassion. We want him to do something to give the comfort that we need. And so he is the God of all comfort, literally the God of comforting. The God who comes in and helps us when we need comfort. He says this in Isaiah 66 verse 13. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Now, you might be in a situation like the writer of Psalm 119, and you might say, you know what? Does God really comfort me? I mean, listen what the the writer of Psalm 119 said. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? You ever been in a situation like that? And come to God and say, God, I've got a problem here. When will you comfort me? I know you're a father of compassion, but I need the God of all comfort coming in at this point. So let's think about this a minute. How does God comfort us? Well, first he comforts us with his presence. You know that scripture tells us that the presence of God is enough? When, when uh, God called Moses at the burning bush and he says, I want you to go towards Pharaoh. Moses had all those excuses. But what God comes down to is, Moses, I am. My presence is enough. When Gideon was called to go toward and, and fight the Midianites, Gideon was scared. And God said, go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? Meaning, my presence is enough. David reflected on this in the most famous psalm of all in Psalm 23 verse 4. He says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Wouldn't you agree the valley of the shadow of death is about the worst place you can be? And yet, God's presence is enough. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's not just the physical instruments of a shepherd, but it's also a reminder of the shepherd's presence to protect and to care in the midst of that situation. That knowledge of God's presence in the midst of the darkest valley of the shadow of death brings comfort. We know troubles come. We know we face death and disease and questions and stress, but we also know that God is present. Jesus said this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's presence is enough. Take his yoke upon you. God's presence is enough, but God's real. And he knows that, you know, sometimes we need more than his presence. He knows we need something tangible that we can touch. So not only does he comfort us through his presence, he also comforts us with his word. Listen to what he says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. You want to be comforted? You want to grow? You need the Word of God coming into your life. The Word of God comforts us. A few years ago, I went through the most stressful time in my entire ministry career. And in dealing with that 
uh, issue, uh, it seemed that any decision we would make would end up with a landmine, and there was no good way to go. There was lots of stress, lots of, of, of consternation. People had different opinions about the whole thing, and, and it was really an extremely stressful time. I slept little. I ached all the time because of stress. I, I prayed constantly, and Finally, one night, Rebecca had had enough. She was trying to sleep, and I was tossing and turning beside her, and she said, enough! And she turned on the light, and she grabbed her, her Praying God's Word book from the nightstand, and she said, we're going to pray. I'm like, yes, ma'am. And she flipped to the right section, and she started praying God's Word back to him. And as I laid there, in the midst of this stressful situation, hearing the Word of God prayed, the stress untangled. My shoulders lightened up. The the presence of God filled our room. And the trial continued until it finally was resolved sometime later. But it started to shrink in size because I was being comforted by God's word. There have been countless times in life where I've experienced that. God's word bringing comfort. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 119, he says something about that type of comfort too in 119 verse 25. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I'm laid low in the dust. I'm down in it. I'm covered up. But you can preserve your life through your word, my life through your word. But you know, sometimes even though you've got his presence, which is enough, and you've got his word, which is tangible and spoken to us, we still need something else. We need his word in flesh. We need God in flesh. And so God also comforts us through his people. You know, really while I was being comforted by God's word that night, it was really the fact that I was being comforted by God's word through my wife speaking to me. So I wasn't only comforted by God's presence with us, but by his word and also by his people. I can think of times in life where people have given me assurance in times of struggle. And sometimes what they said kind of jarred me at the moment, but I still remember those words of truth, which I believed were spoken by God to me in those times to help me out. And the fact of others comforting us becomes a really big deal in this passage. So as we can see from this passage, we're supposed to live in a circle of comfort. You know, I think sometimes the loneliness for moms thing comes in because we're in such a deep, dark pit of loneliness that we fail to see there are others around us in the pit with us. Sometimes there are others at the top of the pit, looking down into the pit, ready to give us a hand to help get us out of that pit. But most of all, Jesus is in that pit with us, and he is ready and willing and available to help us. We just need to be able to accept the help that is around us and take it. Um, When I lost our first baby, we lived in Forestburg, Texas, and there was a couple in the church that wrote me a letter and wrote Stuart a letter. They wrote a Stuart a letter. The husband wrote Stuart a letter about how to help me through that time of extreme grief. And the wife wrote me a letter about how she suffered multiple miscarriages before they had three beautiful daughters. And that is the circle of comfort. My best friend is a children's minister in Shreveport. And when we found out that Evan had Downs, she got me in contact with a family in their church in Shreveport that had a little boy with Downs. And that mama has been such a help and a supporter to me. And I've been able to contact her with questions many times. And we've only met in person one time. It's all been through internet, you know, texting and stuff like that. And that 
is the circle of comfort. Um, several years ago after Evan was born, the loneliness in me got so real and got so tough that I just, I couldn't hardly take it anymore. And I began praying and I began asking God to send me someone to talk to. Now I had friends all around me. I had lots of people, but I didn't feel like I had anybody who really understood what I was having to deal with. I didn't really feel like anybody got me because all their children were, you know, normal and they were not having to do what I was having to do at the time. And I started praying for someone to talk to, somebody that would get me, somebody that would understand me. And God not only answered with one friend, but two. And that's the circle of comfort. And as God provides comfort in, in all of these different ways, the trouble starts to be minimized. It doesn't go away, but it's minimized. But the circle of comfort doesn't stop with just God comforting us through his presence and his word and his people. It goes another step where we find that we find comfort in our trial as we look up and around and we find out who does God want us to comfort. You know, he talks about in the last, second part of verse 4, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. God doesn't comfort us so that we can be comfortable. He comforts us so that we can be comforters. No one can comfort someone going through something like someone who's been through that something. That's where you get real compassion and comfort coming. If I've never been through what someone's going through, it's hard for me to relate. It's hard for me to get it. But if you've been through that, you can really help them and help them to get it. Because you've made it through, they can too. Before my dad died uh, back in 2007, I had never lost a close family member since I was five and my grandma Holloway passed away. So really, I'd never lost a close family member that I remembered what it being like. But going through my dad's illness and his death and the grief myself and the grief I saw with mom helped me to be a better pastor because now I had walked a similar journey as many, many church members had done. We can't keep this circle of comfort to ourselves. We can't just take from God and get through and, and then move on from that. We've got to take the comfort that we've received and give it to others. Because what happens is as we comfort them, then as they receive that comfort, it can lead to their comfort and salvation. One commentator made a statement that stood out to me. He said, look, Paul viewed his suffering not as misery, but as ministry. His suffering was not misery. His suffering was ministry. So if God has helped us, we have a responsibility then to help others for that salvation and comfort. And as we move around that circle of comfort, we see that trial get smaller and smaller and smaller in our eyes. It doesn't go away. It's still there. But we're able to cope with it better because as they are comforted, we are comforted. As their smile comes on their face because of something we've shared, our smile gets bigger and God can do a great work in us. I've been very privileged to counsel a couple of ladies who had just found out that their babies were going to have Down syndrome and it was not much. It was a couple of emails sent, a couple of phone calls made, but that was the circle of comfort even though it was nothing big. 
In February at the Sin Law Life March, Stuart got to share about how we chose life for Evan. And thousands of people heard our story and in the video online has been viewed over 2,800 times. And the gospel went out in that sharing and we don't know if anyone has responded to that, but we pray that they have. And that's the salvation and comfort at the end of that cycle that you see there on the screen. That is the circle of comfort. Moms, we are not alone in our sufferings. We are not. Don't let the enemy tell you that you are alone. First of all, we have the God of all comfort ready and willing to help us. And second, there is a circle of comfort all around us if we will only just look for it. Um, yes, we're going to have trouble. We've been promised that. But our troubles make us ready to be that circle of comfort for someone else. We were not meant to be on an island of motherhood alone. We weren't. We weren't meant to do this all alone. God has provided exactly who we need in every season of our lives. We just need to let the Spirit lead us to them or them to us. So what does this produce in us? What does all of this trouble and this comforting produce in us? Paul says it produces patient endurance. Uh, some of the commentators that I read for this passage says this, this word for comfort actually means brave. And don't we, doesn't motherhood require bravery sometimes? We need to make that circle of comfort so we can all be brave together. Another said the word has the picture of a person who comes alongside another person to encourage them when they are being severely tested. And that's what we're supposed to be to each other. Um, and that's what the Holy Spirit is to us as well. Then let's be the circle of comfort for each other. Moms, you're not alone. Your circle of comfort is all around you. So how does God need to apply this message to you today? How does God need to come in and comfort you? How, does, how do you need to be used to comfort others in, in our congregation, you know, a lot of times we think we church people got it all together, but the opposite is actually true. The church is not a gathering of people who've got it all together. It's a, it's a gathering of people who need each other. We talk about doing life together, and this is one of the ways we do life together. Everybody in the church has a story. Some of them just cover it up. But we all need comfort in some way. Maybe it's over something we've been through in the past that... that we aren't totally beyond. Maybe it's something we're going through right now that we're really struggling with. Or if nothing else, there may be something coming that we need to be prepared for. And so how is God speaking to you today? As we have a word of prayer in just a moment and, and we prepare for a time of invitation, I thought the song that, that we're going to sing is perfect because it says, Lord, I need you. We need the God of all comfort in our situation, no matter if it's a big problem, a small problem, an ongoing problem, or a temporary problem, we need the God of all comfort. And so we're going to seek his face today. And it may be today that you need to trust him as your Lord and Savior. And I'd encourage you to come this morning and to say, Pastor, I want to trust Jesus today. It may be that you have a, a burden on your heart, something you're dealing with that you need to come and lift up in prayer. Or it may be that you want to be a part of our circle of comfort here at First Baptist Pineville and unite your life with our church family. But whatever it is, as we, after we pray, we're going to stand and sing this song of commitment. And I pray that you would move today and trust him. Lord, we come before you this morning and we know that you are here. And so we seek your face. We ask you to hear, hear us. 
and help us to hear from you. Help us, Lord, to be obedient in listening to your voice and following through today with what you're calling us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.